This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. So how is everybody? Is everybody good? How did everybody feel this morning getting up? Did you? Good boy, Emrys. Good boy. Or was it Abby? Sorry, Abby. Abby. Deep voice. So how did you wake up this morning? Did the kids wake you up? What happened? Did the dog wake you up? We had a... a, a Two dogs, our puppy, um, Bailey, she's only, well, she's two and a half now, but when we first had her, by like five, half past five every morning, she'd start crying, because it was like, right, okay, I've been on my own long enough now, I want you up, so I tried to retune her to half past seven, but it didn't work, so she used to wake me up at half past five, but now I get woken up by this. Who's got one of these? Oh, have you got the traditional type, the one with the bell that is really annoying, or have you got one of these? You got one of the, your phone, yeah, you might use your phone, you might use... So I've got a radio alarm plugged into my um, socket next to my bed. And I, I don't know what it is about alarms. Do you love them or hate them? Depends what, depends what day it is as well, doesn't it? Do you turn yours off on a Saturday? I love that feeling, Friday night. Off is brilliant. So mine is next to my bed, and I don't know about you, but what I do on a, in the morning when the alarm goes off, what do you do? No, snooze. And you don't just go, snooze, do you? I go, shut up, shut up. And I give it a good old bash. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning is not the alarm clock, but is the snooze. Now, no word of a lie, a couple of months back, my radio came on and I woke to this. Today I don't feel like doing anything. No word of a lie, I woke up to Bruno Mars telling me to stay in bed. I thought, you know, God, that is words of wisdom from Bruno Mars like no other. But literally that came on and that was fab. But you know, the best thing about the alarm going off is the snooze button, isn't it? It's a marvellous invention that when pushed gives you that extra five minutes 10 minutes, 20 minutes, however long you keep doing it for, and you're in your nice, toasty little bed, and you think, oh, just five more minutes. I find it particularly great when Philip gets out of bed, and I'm like, oh, five more minutes. I get the, And I've got the whole bed to myself now, so I can kind of do this in bed and whatever I want to do, and pull the quilt up, and I'm nice and cosy in bed. And I don't know what it is, but those five minutes, that's when your pillow is the most comfiest, isn't it? That's when the bed is the warmest. That's when your bed is the comfiest for those just five more minutes. You see, the amount of sleep you get is never enough, is it? It's never, ever enough. So that five minutes that you can squeeze in, or ten minutes if you're lucky, is all that important. But do you know the snoozing is bad for you? Did you know that? What's the saying? If you snooze, you lose. If you snooze, you've got every possibility of missing something, haven't you? The number of times I've had, Mom, I've missed the bus. And I've got to get in the car and take the girls to school. How many times have maybe you've missed a train or even a flight? We missed a flight once because we spent a little bit too much time in bed. And we missed our flight from, um, where were we going? We were from Orlando to New York. And we missed our flight and, and it cost us um, as well to get another flight. Perhaps you miss a job interview if you're that late and you're rushing. So snoozing and you lose a lot of the time. But apart from that, do you know it's medically wrong for you? 
medically bad for you? Let me read to you, because I won't remember it all, what the, um, the experts say. The body needs some time to get you ready to wake up. Your body has several mechanisms to prepare you to wake up and get moving. One of these is turning your core temperature, turning up your core temperature, which makes you feel more alert and less sleepy. This starts about two hours before your body is ready to wake up. Did you know that? When you let yourself go back to sleep, your body thinks, oh, false alarm. I guess I didn't need to do anything after all because I'm not getting up. And you settle back in. So when the buzzer goes off a second time, your body and your brain are taken by surprise now, resulting in the groggy, fuzzy-headed feeling called sleep inertia. The more you snooze, the more you confuse your body and your brain. Am I going back to sleep? Am I going up? Do you know what I mean? Your body doesn't know what it's doing. So you'll probably feel more out of sorts than if you just got up when you should have got up. Sleep inertia can persist for two to four hours. Do you know what? Some days I get it all day. Do you get that? I'm like, where am I? What am I doing? What planet am I on? But even knowing all that, that five more minutes snuggled into a warm bed is just too enticing, isn't it? More often than not, I choose my snooze button. And do you know what I've started doing, which is really bad? I changed my clock to start with, so it's fast, so I think I'm late. But then, of course, when I wake up, I remember I've done it, so it makes no point at all. Then I started setting my alarm now, so if I want to get up at seven, I set it at ten to seven so that I can have a ten-minute snooze. Just no sense, is there? But it's just that feeling, isn't it, of almost we've cheated. We've cheated the day. We've grabbed that five, ten minutes back. So what I want to talk to you about this morning is pressing the snooze button, not in our morning when we get up and we're late for work or whatever. I don't want to talk to you about that, although obviously that is important for any bosses listening. But we often press the snooze button in life, don't we? Do we? We often press it on our career. Maybe we've applied for a job, we didn't get it, oh, that's the end, I'm never going to be a whatever, so we change direction or whatever. We often press snooze on relationships. Maybe we have a fallout, oh, that's it, never speak to them again, and we press snooze on it. Perhaps we press snooze on our dreams and our goals because, do you know what, it's just not working out, so I'll just press the snooze button and then I'll press it again and I'll press it again and I'll press it again. You see, snoozing makes us have a groggy feeling, clouds what we see, and it's just really, really bad for us. So what I want to talk to you about this morning is not all of that, because to be honest, when I put this together, I thought, you know what, this could be a very good series, actually, because there's lots of things. And in fact, what I've got to speak to you about today, there's a lot of detail in it, but I just it's basic stuff that we all know, but I just want to remind you. So this morning, what I want to look at is how we press snooze on the basics of our Christian life. And if you're not a Christian here or listening, you're probably pressing snooze on them as well. And what I want to do is just tell you the danger of pressing snooze on just four things. Four things this morning. Don't know what happened to my little finger then. So this morning, let me take you back to the basics. Talk about some fundamental things that as Christians, we are constantly or sometimes pressing the snooze button on and why it's really not good for us. Lee, press the snooze. So the first snooze, it was intended, I went over here. <laughs> so the first snooze that we press the button on a lot is reading the Bible, isn't it? 
Now, let's be real here, okay? Let's be real. Bits of it are boring, aren't they? Come on, bits of it are boring. Bits of it have long words. Quite a bit of it, you know, maybe we don't understand or whatever. But, you know, Psalm 119 says that your word, as Philip has said already, is a lamp that gives light wherever I walk. So I don't know about you, we were out um, last night down in Barry Island. We went to see Gavin and Stacey. They weren't in, but we went to see them anyway. But we were down in Barry. And it was, of, we didn't go down to late because the whole purpose of it, it was called the um, Island of Fire. And everything was lit up and it lit everything up. Now, we had a really good night. Why? Because it was all lit up. We could see where we were going. We could see what we were doing. Imagine if they'd taken all those lights out. It would have been a very boring night in the pitch black by the sea, wouldn't it? And if you ever go walking and get caught short and it's dark, what do you do? Put your torch on your, light, on the, on your phone, don't you? Because what happens, you see, when we're walking around in the pitch black and we can't see and we haven't got a light, we are at high risk of falling and hurting ourselves. And it's exactly the same with the Word of God. If you snooze on reading the Bible, we'll easily fall. We'll easily hurt ourselves. And as we've said this, and I've said this before, it's like going on a journey. You know your destination. You've never been there before. Because let's be honest, who's done life before? Yeah? We're going on a journey. And we, we just leave the sat-nav at home. It's crazy that we're pressing snooze on reading the Bible. So let me tell you a couple of things. Like I said, nothing is new, but I just want some reminders. Let me tell you a couple of things about what reading the Bible and not pressing snooze will do for you. You see, the Bible contains God's will for our lives. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 says, everything in scripture is God's word. All of it, all of it, even the boring bits and the bits that we don't understand, all of it is useful for teaching and helping people and for correcting them and showing them how to live. Showing you how to live. Why do you want to do life without knowing how to do life? Have you ever thought about that verse through though? The Bible is inspired by God himself. It's his word contains his wisdom, his goodness, his intentions, his judgment, his heart, and his will for you. The Bible is a nourishment. Imagine you go a day without eating. I could probably do with going a couple of days without eating, actually. But imagine going a couple of days, then a couple of weeks, then a couple of months. My friend is in hospital at the moment. She can't eat because of the illness that she has. And when I went to see her, she was really, really thin. She didn't look well. Why? Because she wasn't being nourished. You see, as time goes on, you get weaker and you get weaker. Our bodies need nourishment to live. And our spiritual body needs nourishment to live as well. You see, Matthew 4, verse 4 tells us, people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So God's word is our source of life. It contains infinite help and wisdom. The Bible helps us understand the difference between good and evil. And as human beings, our natural judgment can sometimes go belly up, can't it? So the Bible teaches us what is right and what is wrong. So if you're in any confusion, you can pick up the word of God and read it. You see, it cuts through our emotions, doesn't it? So when somebody does something wrong to you, Let's be honest, we all know it's wrong to take revenge. But when emotions kick in, it's the easiest thing to do, isn't it? So what the Bible does is it sets us on, if you like, the straight and narrow. 
It confirms what is right and wrong. Psalm 119 says, young people can live a clean life by obeying your word. The Bible contains all the instructions that we need. It teaches us how we can follow Christ in truth. It contains words and examples from heroes of our faith, prophets, even Jesus Christ and God himself. So what better teaching, what better instruction, what better guidelines do we need to live a life that is well-pleasing to God, as I'm sure we all want to do? But the Bible also contains power to overcome. You see, when Jesus was tempted, he had a counterattack, didn't he? What did he do? Use the word of God. Every single counterattack involved God's word. Jesus said, every single time, it is, it is written. Do you have a counterattack? When you come against temptation, when you come against things that are going in your life, do you have that counterattack? Do you have the word of God that you can come back and say, no, wait a minute, it is written X, Y, Z. Do you have that? You see, Paul writes, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's in Ephesians. God's word is a weapon. It's a sword that gives us power and authority to overcome in the midst of temptation. You wouldn't be a soldier going out to battle without your weapons, would you? That would be really, really foolish. So why are we pressing snooze and going into battle without our weapons? The Bible is also full of extraordinary promises. You see, it speaks all things that belong to you. Yeah? It belongs to you. I think sometimes we read the Bible and think, oh, well, that was for him and that was for her. These promises are for you. You can see what God has done. You can see what God does. You can see God's will. You can see all his promises and his promises never come back to him void. So his promises are written and they're yes and amen. They're going to happen. It'll tell you of all the promises that can be yours, both in this life and the next. You see, pressing snooze on the button of God's word means that you don't have your light on. You are walking around in dim or even darkness. You can't see the best path for you if you haven't got your torch on. We haven't got, with the pressing snooze on the Bible, we haven't got the necessary spiritual food that we need to keep us strong. We haven't got the armor that we need, the sword that we need to fight our battles. Without reading God's word, we haven't got the counterattacks that we need when Satan comes and tells us we're not good enough. You see, by pressing snooze on reading God's word, it will make us weak and it will make us vulnerable. Lee, press snooze. The next thing we snooze on is our prayer life. In Mark 1.35, we read, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Prayer was a really important part of Jesus' life. Now, Jesus was the Son of God, so did he have to pray? Did he need to pray? But he did. So if he was praying, if he felt the need to pray, how much more do we need to pray? James 4 verse 2 says, You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17 says, never stop praying. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine? Tesco Till, head bowed, eyes closed, you know, walking around like this all day. We get some funny looks, wouldn't we? It doesn't mean non-stop talking to God. That's not what uh, pray without ceasing or never stop praying means. What it means is that it's an attitude of God consciousness 
and God surrender that we carry with us every single second of the day. Every waking moment is to be lived in the awareness that God is with us and that he is actively involved and engaged in our thoughts and our actions. That's what it means by never stop praying. Knowing that God is there every second of every day. When our thoughts turn to worry, fear, discouragement or anger, we are to consciously and quickly turn every thought into prayer and every prayer into thanksgiving. As we go through the day, prayer should be our first response, not our last response. A lack of prayer will cause us to depend on ourselves instead of depending on God. So let me tell you a couple of things about what prayer does for us. Prayer builds our relationship with God. In Ephesians 3, it says that you may be able to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Knowing this passage is the same word that's used for the intimate closeness of a husband and wife in sexual embrace. Now, Paul is praying that you and I will experience the kind of love that Christ, not sexual, but intimate, deep, and close. It is so deep that Paul later says it surpasses knowledge. You see, when we get down and get honest with God, when we are on his turf and we are praying and we cannot get any closer to God when we are in that place of complete surrender to him. Prayer is one place where God can get at us. We often think that prayer is us getting at him. But prayer is where God can get to us. He can speak to us and minister to us. And for this reason, we have to learn to rush to prayer rather than leave it to the last resort. You see, prayer helps us overcome temptation too. We are naive if we think that Jesus wasn't tempted to abort the mission at the 11th hour when he was in the garden. In the garden, he asked God, look, if there's any other way, if there's anything else that we can do, can we do it? The temptation Jesus faced at that time was huge. But the consequences of him aborting the mission were equally as huge. But what did Jesus do? He modelled exactly what he told his struggling team to do. He prayed so that he could defeat temptation. We are told by Luke that his prayers were so heartfelt, his struggles were so intense that he sweat his blood. He was in such agony that in, in answer to his prayer, an angel became visible to bear up the strain. And bear it he did. Because triumphantly, at the end of the hour, he rose from prayer, having settled with his father, not not my will, but yours. Prayer had been the means of his victory. You see, when Jesus, even Jesus, in his darkest hour, he didn't mourn, he didn't worry, he did, well, he did worry, but he didn't mourn, he didn't try and fix it himself, he went to prayer. And through prayer, he came out victorious. You see, prayer is also a weapon. We mentioned this with um, the reading God's word. In Ephesians 6, we're instructed by Paul, who was an experienced soldier, to be suitably dressed, didn't we, aren't we? Daily to put on the armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. Now we're complete, aren't we? We've got the armor. We're done. 
But interestingly, Paul doesn't say that. In fact, two verses later in verse 18, he gets to the heavy artillery. Persistent prayer. Notice that he says, with all prayer and petition, pray. With all perseverance, pray and pray. In two verses, he commands us to pray five times. Do you think it's important? Do you think it's important? The armor itself is great, but without prayer, it's weakened. You see, when we snooze on praying, we start to move our relationship away from God. Notice what I say, we move away from God. Try not talking to your partner for a couple of days, or a couple of weeks, or a couple of months. You'll soon see how that relationship works out. I've tried it, but he's still still here. You see, by not praying, we lose our weapon against the attacks of the enemy. We start to rely on human strength instead of God's strength. When we press snooze on praying, over time, it becomes the last thing we do rather than the first thing we do. Snooze, 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 snooze. She's getting the gist now. The other thing we snooze on, so number three, is our church life. Oh my gosh, this is going to be a controversial one. How often do you hear, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Do you know what? That's absolutely true. You don't. And thank God to like the persecuted church because they've got to hide in wherever and get together. So yeah, you don't have to be a Christian to go to church. That's absolutely true. But why wouldn't you? As Andrea said, already said this morning, the church is a family. And I don't know about you, but I love spending time with my family. We try as much as possible with all our busy schedules to be together. We try as often as we can to sit around the table and eat together and talk about the day that we've had. We try as much as possible to do, like we said last night, we said to Sarah and Fionn, they're like, what should we do today? I said, we're going to go to Barry Island. Guess what the response was? I don't go to Barry Island. What are we going to Barry Island for? And they were... But we went because what is more important than the destination is the being together. So the four of us went, because Caris is away at a wedding, the four of us went, we had a fab time, we had a heck of a laugh. It's all about spending time together, and that's what the church family should be about. You see, what we should be doing is coming to the house, coming home, and having family life here, just like we do with our earthly family. Now, please note, I'm not talking about if you physically can't get to church. If you're ill or you have to work shifts or whatever, I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about here is your desire to go. Because I can guarantee you that whilst I think Brian is working today, while Brian is working today, his desire is to be here. Yeah, the people that are away on holiday, their desire is to be here. Those that are sick, their desire is to be here. What I'm talking about here is the pressing the snooze of a, oh, I can't bother getting up this morning. Or my bed's too comfy. Or actually the sun's shining. I think I'll go to Tembe. That's what I'm talking about. The number of people that would rather go shopping or rather go um, to a festival or rather just stay in because they didn't watch Love Island last night and they need to catch up. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. When you can come, but you don't. So, so often we press snooze on our attendance at church because I'm just too tired or I don't feel it or the sun is out. Hebrews 10 says, some people have gotten out of the habit of meeting of worship, but we must not do that. 
We must not do that. God's desire is to have you regularly attend church, whether it's ABC and we pray to God that it is. But it's church. It's with his people. And I know the church isn't a building, so hear what I'm saying here. But many around the world can't. And yet we just take it for granted and disregard it at the easiest and most convenient excuse. Now, going to church and coming to ABC is not about you getting your attendance gold star. Perhaps that's what we should start doing like with kids, isn't it? They all want to come for their gold star. It's not about that. And it's not about gaining any favour with God or anybody else because you've turned up for church. Church is not a place you go to, but it's a living body that you become a part of for your good, for the good of others, and for God's glory. You see, Psalm 92 says, and I love this verse, planted in the house of the Lord, you will flourish. The contemporary England, English version says, you will do well. Do you want to flourish? Do you want to do well? I certainly do. Then plant yourself in the house of the Lord. You see, plants don't move around, do they? I don't know anything about plants. I really don't. So I'm really out of my depth here. Talk about green fingers. Mine are black. I kill everything. So maybe I should get Olga to come and, uh, and tell us all about this. But to my knowledge, plants don't move around. Plants are quite specific because I think, tell me if I'm wrong, if you take a plant out of the soil and leave it on the side, guess what's going to happen? It's going to wilt and die because it needs to be planted. Am I right? Yeah. I think my knowledge stretches that far that a plant needs to be planted. If it's not, it withers and die. Now, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But if you press the snooze every Sunday morning, you are missing out. And this is what you're missing out on. Me. No, in all seriousness. You're missing out on the preaching of God's word. You see, you can listen on podcasts. You can read the Bible. That's great. But when you're actually listening to somebody speaking the word of God and explaining their thoughts on it, because at the end of the day, it is their thoughts on it. When they're explaining their thoughts on it and what God has given them, it makes you think, or should do, makes you think about what they're saying. Do I agree with it? Do I not agree with it? Do I agree with bits of it? Is that challenging? Is it encouraging? It makes you think. You see, if the word of God is quick, powerful, and sharper than a sword, then hearing the preaching of Scripture is vital to your spiritual well-being. It penetrates your heart, or should do, and transforms your life. You see, when you hear a sermon, you're not only having God's word put into your life, but you're being challenged because I'm hoping that as even you're sat here now with the looks on your faces, you look as though you're thinking about what I'm saying. Now, you see, as well as that, if you press snooze on coming to church, you're pressing snooze on worship. Now, yes, you can worship alone. You can put the tapes on. Tapes? I can't believe I said tapes. <laughs> Showing my age there. You can put your mp3 or your phone or your itunes or whatever on and you can worship alone of course you can but there's nothing that can replace the beauty of coming together corporately to worship in with others who are of the same spirit and the same mind as you you see when you realize that worshiping god comes from a response of our gratitude to him for his love for us you will want to and long to come together with other believers to honor christ if God's spirit doesn't stir you in the desire to worship God, both privately and corporately, it's time to ask him to show you why. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron. 
So meeting regularly with other believers is a source of encouragement and strength. I love catching up with you all. Hard to believe, isn't it? I love catching up with you all. I love talking about stuff. Because it really helps me and hopefully I help you too. You see, in a church you'll discover many people who have walked the road ahead of you. Their wisdom, their insight and even their vulnerability can teach you from their mistakes. And that's one way that God helps us to grow. Titus 2 is a great place to learn how much God values community. Look how he shows us how we all learn from each other. How the old show the young. But warning. There's a warning. When iron rubs against iron, not only does it become sharper, but it creates sparks. You see, when you live in a community with other Christians, you will get bumped. If you've stopped attending church because people hurt you, or it didn't measure up to your expectations, or people are hypocritical, well, welcome to the real world of human beings. But also knows that that's the enemy as well. He starts right there with you too. Satan's tactic is to divide and conquer. So don't fall for it. Iron sharpens iron, but also creates sparks. The other reason why you shouldn't snooze on church, if you want to teach your kids to love God, they need to see you loving God. And if you want them to learn to love God's people, they need to see you loving God's people. Luke 6, 40 says, a student will be like his teacher. Notice it doesn't say they'll become to be what the teacher tells them to be. He will be like his teacher. In the book, Caught Not Taught by Julie Rep, she says this, our children will learn more about faith from watching us live out our own faith than from us telling them about God. Your kids watch every word that comes out of your mouth. Your kids watch everything you watch on TV. Well, not, you know what I mean. They know everything you watch on TV. They know what your social media is like. They know what you do at weekends. They know they're a lot more than we sometimes give them credit for. So if you want your, to teach your kids to love God, they need to see you loving God. If you want them to learn how to love God's people, they have to observe you loving God's people. If you don't think meeting together is important, neither will your kids. So many people go to church when life is hard, don't they? When they're struggling, they turn up in church. And then when they get better or feel better, they go away. Only to come back when another season goes wrong. If only they realise that planted in the house of God, you do well. If you're accustomed to only going to church when you have a need, try going when you don't. Maybe God will use you to be an encouragement to others. So when you press snooze on attending church, you miss out on community with faith-filled believers. You miss out on valuable teaching on valuable God conversations. You miss out on amazing corporate worship. You miss out on demonstrating to your kids and to your friends what is important to you. You miss out on flourishing. And just importantly, others miss out because you weren't here. Because what could you have been to them this morning? <laughs> She's getting the hang of this, fair play. Okay, the last um, snooze I want to talk to you about this morning, and again, there's lots in this, and I appreciate that, but none of this should be new to you. 
is pressing snooze on serving. Now, Jesus is the best example of this, isn't he? He was the son of God, yet Matthew 20 tells us that he didn't come to be served, but to serve. So from preaching to encouraging, hospitality to administration, God gives us all gifts to serve Christ. Romans 12 tells us God has given each of us different gifts to what? To use. When a church is healthy, its members realize that they are part of a congregation, not only to receive, but also to be a blessing. Statistics reveal that in most churches, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Now, this is not to guilt trip anybody into getting involved at all. Please see where I'm coming from. Hopefully, it is to inspire you. Because imagine God, he has, a soup, he has given you a supernatural gift so that you can use it to glorify him through serving Christ. Ephesians 2 says, God planted us to do good things and to live as he always wanted us to live. And it's rewarded. Luke 6 says, if you give to others, you will be given a full amount in return. It will be packed down, shaken together and spilling over into your life. You see, many see work happening at church and we think, do you know what? They don't need me. Don't be deceived. A well-running church and a well-running ministry may appear to have all its base covered. But your willingness to minister in your church is what God has gifted you. And you are likely to be the answer to someone else's prayer for more help. You've all heard the story of four people called everybody, somebody, anybody and nobody, haven't you? There was an important job to be done and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realised that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could do. Could do. Now, the story may be confusing, but the message is clear. No one took responsibility, so nothing got accomplished. See, Matthew 9 tells us the harvest is great, but the workers are few. And I trust when we look at what God wants us to do here in Amherst and here in ABC, that we don't say the harvest is great, but our workers are few. You see, when we press snooze on serving, we deprive others of what God has for them. You are here today because somebody served you. You are here today because at some point in the past, somebody opened the door to a church for you. Somebody hoovered the carpet before you came in. Somebody welcomed you at the door with a good morning. Somebody made you a cup of tea and offered you a piece of cake. Somebody prayed for you. Somebody shared God's word with you. Somebody made an effort with you. Somebody, somebody, somebody. You see, when you serve, you discover that often the most important things you have to offer are not things at all. You start to uncover the full range of resources that you have, your time, your presence, your attention. When you serve, you shift from me to we. You start to look at people and situations with an eye for what you can do for them, not what they can do for you. When serving in this way, you are no longer operating from a space of less. Because that's what we think, isn't it? Oh, I'm going to have less time. I'm going to have less money. But instead, your cup fills and fills and fills and overflows. 
when you serve, you will soon realize that when you give, you actually receive. We all know the story in Matthew 25 of the 10 bridesmaids, five of whom were ready, five of whom weren't. What happened to the five dozy ones? They were snoozing, weren't they? They were snoozing. They weren't prepared. And boy, did they miss out big time. So the next time the alarm goes off, the next time you need to pick up the word of God, the next time you need to pray, the next time you are rolling over in bed and thinking, I can't get up this morning for church, the next time you see a need and you think, I should be serving, don't be tempted to knock that snooze button and settle into comfort. Because remember, don't snooze on reading God's word because it is your light, your guide and your sword. Don't snooze on prayer because if you do not have, sorry, do not snooze on prayer because you do not have because you do not ask. Don't snooze on attending God's house because planted in the house of the Lord, you flourish. And don't snooze on serving because the harvest is great. And if it's not you, then who? This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269 59